Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast episode number 881 with author Sabrina Horn about her new book entitled Make It Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. This podcast number 881 is brought to you by Emily Francis, author of a new book entitled Healing Ourselves Whole, an interactive guide to release pain and trauma by utilizing the wisdom of the body. This groundbreaking interactive book contains everything you need to clean your emotional house from top to bottom, including a journal, prompts, and access to audio meditations to listen to as you read. If you might be dealing with body pain that is talking with you, and you don't know what it is telling you, then you really should listen to this podcast and get a copy of Emily's new book, Healing Ourselves Whole. If you want to learn more about Emily and her body work, please visit her website at www.emilyfrancisbooks.com. That's www.emilyfrancisbooks.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Sabrina Horn about her new book entitled Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Sabrina, uh, every time I do this, I thank the listeners. Um, For those who have listened to the almost 900 podcasts, you probably hear this and you go, oh my goodness, Uh, he's he's thanking those listeners again. I can't thank them enough because those are the people that make the show. That's why I'm on the air. And I'm also on the air because of great people like yourself who write wonderful books. And joining us today from Long Island is Sabrina Horn. And we're going to be talking about her book, Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. Good day to you, Sabrina. How are you in Long Island? Oh, hello, Greg. It's so great to be here. And thank you for having me on your great show. I'm I'm just thrilled to talk to you. Well, likewise, uh, you and I have talked previous on a pre-interview, and I got to know you a little bit more. And I'm going to let my listeners uh, know a tad bit about you because, you know, you have an interesting background And it's really important, I think, that listeners get to know the authors a little bit more. She's an award-winning CEO, author, tech communication expert, and advisor, board member. Her career is highlighted by 25 years as founder and CEO and president of the Horn Group and the Ionic U.S. Tech Communications Agency she founded in Silicon Valley at the age of 29. Her firm uh, consulted thousands of tech C-suite executives in their companies through their business and marketing challenges, including category creation, brand transformation, global expansion, IPOs, acquisitions, pivots, and crisis crisis manners. Horde Group had multiple offices across the U.S., a global partner network, and received numerous awards, including the best employer and best tech agency in the U.S., uh, Sabrina sold Horn in 2015 to Finn Partners, a global marketing communications agency, and was appointed managing partner uh, of their technology arena. And Sabrina, I mean, this is, uh, 
you know, the bio could go on and on and on because you have so many uh, great achievements in your life. Um, but this book is a big achievement in of itself. And I think it tells the story uh, very well. And it does a really good job of doing that. And I know all of the listeners have heard fake it until you make it. Yeah. Um, but they've never heard about a book, make it, don't fake it. Um, you wrote this book with an emphasis on integrity, honesty, and telling the truth. Um, why now more than ever, is it important for business owners to not only get this, um, but to live it? I mean, obviously our press has seen all kinds of improprieties by all kinds of people. Uh, and it is become more and more public. It didn't used to be as public. Um, but now it's just so easy to make it public with social media. Yeah. Um, what would you have to say to those people that are listening that you know need to get this message? Yeah, well, that's a great place to start, Greg. I mean, I I think that in the last five to 10 years, so many people have forgotten about the fact that integrity matters. Right. And um, it's almost like an option and a multiple choice question. You know, should I be honest or should I pull a fast one and take a shortcut and fake it till you make it was originally kind of an innocent little tongue in cheek quip, but it took on a life of its own. And now it's like sage business advice. It's basically telling you, it's okay to lie or exaggerate the truth or minimize or distort the facts, right? In order to succeed. I've talked with many people, especially younger folks just getting into their careers. And, and they tell me if they feel like if they don't fake it, they won't be successful. Mm-hmm. And like everything is, everything is wrong with that because, because faking it doesn't help you be successful. It actually helps you fail. And the reason why is because the truth always comes out, you know, like it could be a day, could be a week, could be a year or 10 years, but the truth always comes out. And when it does, you'll be exposed for, for how you faked it. Mm -hmm. That that will sabotage your success. It ruins reputations. We have a prime example of that uh, on trial right now, Elizabeth Holmes with uh, Theranos. You know, so so that's my point. It's better to lead with integrity because you'll have a better chance of success. Well, having been in the advertising business, um, obviously, it's it's kind of all about lifting one up, bringing up the profile, right? Um, what would you say? You know, obviously, you during the course of your career, whether it was in Silicon Valley or uh, uh, consulting other companies, and what is it personally that you're so passionate about to make certain that this message gets done? What maybe happened to you or something that went on that you saw going on when you were doing consulting that you didn't like that you literally decided? I need to make a statement here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I was a 29-year-old woman with no leadership training, no management experience, really. I had four years of job experience. And here I am, a CEO of a, of a, of a hot agency in Silicon Valley. 
And boy, I'll tell you, you know, it's nothing like becoming a CEO with on the job, on the job training. Like I made so many mistakes because I didn't have all the information. And I, back then fake it till you make it wasn't a, was a, wasn't a saying, but I sure as, I sure as heck faked it. And of course, in being in Silicon Valley, I saw hundreds of entrepreneurs, you know, trying to do their thing and, and faking it here and there every, every day. And as an advisor to these executives, you know, it is a big timeout. Like they're not, that's not going to fly. The media is going to figure it out. The analysts are going to call BS on that. And so gradually over time, I learned that lesson a few times, really the hard way mm-hmm. and saw my, and saw my clients also uh, dealing with that and, um, and just decided, you know, life is too short. It's better to just lead with integrity. And, you know, yeah. I have some examples in, in the book of, of, of quite a few. Oh, yeah. We'll get yeah. to those, you know, <laughs> uh, Samsung with the phone and Uber. And, you know, we have lots of those. Yeah. Um, I think we could, uh, you know, fill up a, a book just about, the, about those. But you state the book is about achieving success, about making it and knowing what you don't need to fake it, that you don't need to fake it. Um, What advice would you provide the business owners, entrepreneurs out there listening about shifting their mindset to one of a focus on ethics, passion, confidence, pride, resilience, commitment, so that they can survive and thrive no matter what situation they're in, because that is a, is a, is a big thing. Yeah. You know, so that it starts with something that may sound silly, but it's so vitally important, which is having a sit down with yourself and really asking yourself who you are and what you stand for and what you want your company to stand for. Those, those core values infuse everything about your culture about every business process in your business and how you interact with your customers, right? Ultimately, you want to be successful. You want to have uh, a build a, a great brand. And that's always about a consistent customer experience based on trust. Um, the next thing is you have to adopt a philosophy that may be a little bit uncomfortable, but it is about being humble. And it is actually about being comfortable admitting when you don't know something and when you've made a mistake, because that, that draws people in and it builds, it, it takes all the CYA out of the equation and it makes you a much more productive learning organization. And, and then, you know, there's many other things, but I guess you have to make a commitment to being able to deal with reality and looking at the truth in the face. And that's why leading with integrity is so hard because by definition, you have to be grounded in the truth, right? But the truth hurts sometimes, right? It can be very harsh to deal with, with reality. It's much easier to shove it under the rug. So, you know, it, it really is about making that commitment so that no matter what comes your way, you're going to deal with it. Well, I think business leaders today, you know, you look at the green leaf kind of philosophy that's been out there for a long time. And leaders today, more than anything, need to learn how to be 
uh, in higher integrity, but have more compassion and more empathy, uh, especially given the pandemic and what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a character trait that uh, in a lot of people, it evolves. They don't, they aren't born with it all the time. Right. Right. Um, they have to kind of figure it out. I mean, we, we aren't all Dalai Lamas and, and don't have that great attitude about life. Um, right. And I think it is learned. And you speak to the listeners and you have a chart in the book, which I thought is mm-hmm. very cool. It's called the FACO meter. And <laughs> it's a progressive <laughs> progression that takes place while moving along this phacometer line that's in the book, and I'll let you explain it. Also, what are some examples uh, that you would that you would make or give? I know you cited the Boeing seven thirty seven Max um, mm-hmm. accident uh, as one, but there's many. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, talk with us about the phacometer, and talk with us about some of the examples people that were faking it. We, I know we talked about one of them was Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got lots of big companies, but can imagine if big companies made the mistake, how many little companies right. are, are doing the same thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so the FACO meter was something that I conceived when I was writing the book and thinking about all the different ways that people fake it. And I had to put it like in different buckets. And so then I thought, all right, Let's let's put that on a continuum from, you know, most innocent to jail time. Right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so if you start off with what is most innocent, right, um, there's something called acting as if, which is actually a technique in cognitive behavioral therapy where you're simply say you're you don't feel very confident and and so you want to try and practice the behaviors that you wish you could exude and embody and you do that until you and until it feels more comfortable and and you can actually have those behaviors and feel that way and there's nothing wrong with that it's just a form of self-help um just like visualizing yourself in a in a tough situation or dressing for success um but where you run into trouble right and you cross the line uh, is when you start to say and do things at other people's expense for personal gain. So the most common acts of fakery that that we see and hear and would expect, right, uh, fall into this category of just simply exaggerating the truth. So if you're an entrepreneur and you really want to get that venture capital money, Maybe you'll stretch the truth a little bit about what your technology can do or how many customers you have, or you're a salesperson and you want to, you've got to make your number. It's the end of the quarter. So you overpromise a little bit about what you can do to your customer to win the deal or a really common way of faking it um, is um, lying on your resume to, you know, get the interview. Um, from there, we go to minimizing the truth. So here examples would be like, uh, like my, my kids, you know, yeah, I came home last night, mom, I parked the car in the garage and I turned off the lights, <laughs> leaving out the fact that I broke the headlight coming into the garage, <laughs> right. Right, right. <laughs> you know, or Hey, we won that big deal. And um, yeah, we closed the sale, leaving out the fact that it was really only at like 50% of the budget that we wanted. 
you know, right. so that's, that's minimizing a situation. And then, you know, there are other types of, of fakery uh, as we move on the continuum that don't involve lying. Um, it's called ostrich lies because like an ostrich, you're sticking your head in the sand. This is when you're an entrepreneur and, or a CEO and you're facing a crisis situation and you're so overwhelmed, you don't know what to do. You just want it all to go away and you shove it under the rug and you delay dealing with reality. That's also faking it because the consequences could be quite severe for your business. Um, you know, and then from there we go into like jail time, <laughs> which is, which is like, uh, um, um, selective truth telling. Um, that's where you, um, actually telling the truth, but leaving out certain facts, as right. was in the case of, of Boeing. Um, and then, you know, from there we're, we're into total outright deception and, and fraud, like Bernie Madoff, uh, with his Ponzi scheme. Jeffrey, and, whatever his name was, the guy in yeah. Florida. Yeah. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, of course, Elizabeth Holmes, who's on trial now for yeah. their- that was that's pretty uh, egregious, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting as you're saying this and you're speaking about your FACO meter <laughs> is what came up for me was that uh, I, I don't think uh, a lot of people like to be raw. For some reason, the word raw came into my um, uh, my being here and. On top of it, you mentioned salespeople promising more than could be delivered so that they could get the order. And that gap in some cases can be so great and causes so much repercussion downstream. Um, And, you know, you see this happen. Um, I'm doing some work in a company right now where they have these contracts that say one thing and then the performance has been another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're now paying the price of that. So you either adjust the contract to say it's going to change, and this is all we really can do, or you change your pricing so that you can do it, right? Um, But you have to be honest that it's going to cost more. And I think a lot of people are worried about not getting the order, right? So it's like, okay, I didn't get the order. And that might be a small example, but that's an example of something that happens, I think, all too frequently almost every day causes huge customer service issues, customer complaints and problems. Yeah. And, you know, you tell a story in chapter two, great story about your own PR firm and you landing the account at PeopleSoft um, and you, you beating out this other firm in the process, um, which was a friend of the CEO, right? Um, what did you learn from the experience? And can you relate the story to the listeners about how being an integrity helped you land this account? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yes, it was a wonderful way to start your my business and to to be honest, no pun intended, I had nothing to lose by being honest. You know, I figured I've got a shot. If I win it, I'm in business. So I better handle it right. And if I don't get it, then I'll just go do something else. And, um, or I'll find another customer or it just whatever. And so I thought like, I've got nothing to lose by just being absolutely honest with them and with myself. And so that started by doing what I said at the beginning of our conversation, which is like, 
here, here's an honest assessment of what I can deliver and what I can't. And here's who I am and what I stand for. Here's, here's my business plan. And I shared all of that with them in that meeting. And I think that my candor and my honesty was perhaps um, so refreshing um, that it caught their attention. Um, but I also learned that the value of doing my homework, you know, like I crossed every T and dotted every I. And I had to ask myself, you know, what is the CEO of PeopleSoft worried about? What's on his mind? What is he not thinking about? What can I then do? Like thinking as a business person first, like knowing all that, then and winding my way back to, okay, so then what would be the right thing for them to do? Rather than saying, here's a list of things I'm going to do for you and, you know, seeing how that resonates. So it, it's, it's about putting yourself in your customer's shoes truly and then having what I call a 60 minutes episode with myself where I've thought of every question they might ask me and especially those I didn't want to answer. And I forced myself to come up with an answer for them and like, okay, that's the truth. Right. And if, if that, if that answer doesn't work for them, then that's better than pulling a fast one and then being caught for it later. So I think those were the, the really key lessons that I, that I learned all sort of swirling around being authentic and, and, operating with integrity. It's a good point you make. I mean, um, you know, a person in sales, a person in marketing, and let's face it, uh, public relations PR is, is it's all interwound, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. easy to get caught up in the emotion. It's easy to get caught up in just, oh, what we can create here and what we're going to be able to do because you're living in the world of creativity and imagination. Um, and there's nothing wrong with imagining with somebody as long as they know what you're going to be able to do is real Um, because that's actually quite fun to have this imagination, creativity, uh, mind meld of all the people. And one of the things that you speak about in the book is disarming fear and organized risk and what it is like to be in a startup. I mean, let's face it that you, you've landed this account pretty much very early in your, in your career. What advice do you have about not faking it? Because as you state, faking it is the same thing as lying. Mm -hmm. And this is not the value that you want to embrace. And you list on page 49, you know, uh, some, some things that I think are important. Maybe you can articulate that. Mm -hmm. Um, But faking it is lying. Mm-hmm. And as your phacometer says, it depends on where you are on the scale of the phacometer, right? Yeah. Um, but it also has to do with this, you, you know, we talk about integrity. I remember Dr. Jim Laura was recently on here about leadership mm-hmm. and has a great book out in the personal credo. And I, I come to this and I really look at what he said. And if you can't stand in your own shoes and tell the truth. Um, You're literally, um, you're literally going to pay the repercussions at some point later on, as you said earlier. Yeah. So what would you say about this disarming fear, organized risk and, and, and uh, not lying? (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a really um, appropriate thing to discuss, especially now, you know, as we've been basically living in this constant environment of fear, uncertainty, and doubt with the pandemic. And um, it's always seems to be a moving target from week to week. And the reason why we have fear in, in, in life or in business and especially in a startup is because there's something unknown about it. There's something we don't understand about it. And so you have to disarm the fear. And the best piece of advice I ever got was know what you don't know. So dial into the fear. What's making you have that anxiety? It's probably about something you don't understand and don't know about. So acquire a bias for for seeking information. Now it's fear can be very paralyzing as well. You feel like you have cement shoes and you know it's just overwhelming. It also so, can be very motivating. But you know the yes. old cliche for fear was false expectation appearing real. That's what the <laughs> word fear yes. made. It's like the the acronym for fear was false expectation appearing real. <laughs> I like um, that. Yeah. Well, but that is in essence, you know, in many of these companies, they don't talk about love, but Mm -hmm. if there were two emotions that really did exist, it would be fear or love. Yep. And it's love for oneself as much as it's love for what it is you do and love for the people that you work with. Yes. Um, Because you really only have that, you know? And so, if you're going to organize this organized risk, I like how you talked about, you know, you, you called it organized risk. I, I've actually never heard it referred to that way. So mm-hmm. I thought that was very uh, clever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thus, uh, it, but so is there anything else you would say about, you know, this yeah. faking it and lying um, from your list? Um, I mean, I, I would say uh, from the fakeometer. Well, on page 49, you have a list. Oh, I actually right. put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's about um, um, making a list of all the ways that something could go wrong and then asking yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen here? And, and then how would you recover? So for me, that's contingency planning, right? Hoping for the best and planning for the worst is all about having these little plans in your back pocket so that whatever happens, you can sort of find a path down the middle to move forward. Um, It's also about surrounding yourself with people who are going to give it to you straight, not people who will tell you what you want to hear, but people who will tell you what you need to hear. Um, And, you know, and then lastly, it's, it is also like, thinking about what does success ultimately look like? And you've got these, all of the the things that could go wrong, your risks on one side, and then, and then ultimately like, okay, a year from now, this is where we want to be. And so we just need some plans to deal with these risks so that they don't get in the way of achieving that success down the road. Um, and, and I don't mean to minimize you know, that because depending on what kind of business you have and the industry you're in, those risks could be quite enormous. But that's where contingency planning is just really comes in, into play. Well, the other thing that we could add to the icing on the cake there, I just recently did an interview with Jonathan Brill, Rogue Waves. And, you know, much mm-hmm. of this was all predictable. You know, 
if you had really taken time to look it was there going to be a pandemic um you know uh he, he made a great statement about um the the titanic crossing the atlantic and that the captain of the ship knew that during that time of the year there were 1800 icebergs crossing where that ship went and now the question was you know when you navigate something whether it's a ship or you're navigating your company Mm-hmm. What are you looking for that you can see around corners that's potentially coming? Because those are the risks. Mm-hmm. That's the risk to sink the ship. That's the rogue wave that comes up that you thought was just rogue, but the reality it's not. There are ways to actually look at all these factors and have a pretty good indication to predict them into the future, you know, as a future, futurist. Um, and you stated that for you as a CEO, and that's why I love doing this show. Uh, you like to read lots of books on leadership, looking for, and you're looking for advice. Then you go on to list the characteristics of great leaders. Yes. Um, can you tell us what you believe is the makeup of a good leader in your estimation? You put it on page 54 through 57, but, yes. but, you know, I just want to hear it from Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you were a leader. You still are a leader. You're a leader in this other company now. Well, I, and I um, no longer work at Finn Partners. To be okay. to be clear, I I completed my time with them in okay. 2018, and and then wrote this book. Um, but I still consult with them. You know, I think leadership is many many things, um, but. My view is that being a great leader begins with making the right decisions at the right time based on what you believe to be reality. And so a great leader has to make a commitment to always being grounded in the truth and in reality. And that is a has to be a tireless, relentless effort because reality is constantly changing. Next, I believe that a great leader has to, as we said earlier, have this concept of humility and to not only, you know, put that on like a, a new wardrobe, but to truly feel confident admitting mistakes and knowing when to ask for help. Um, I believe that a great leader should be flexible and agile. You know, I have this saying like adapt early, move quickly, sometimes making a wrong decision is better than making no decision at all. Um, I would say being, I have this also this notion of um, being a realistic optimist. Like you always have to balance, okay, we can learn from our mistakes, but you can't spend all your time in the rearview mirror. You have to always be looking forward and trying. And sometimes at the, it's at the 13th hour for, for a solution to a particular problem. You just cannot ever give up pushing and moving forward and finding solutions. And like that, that is exhausting work. And, but that is the mark of a, of a great leader who knows that somewhere out there, there is a solution. There's an answer to this problem. You just have to find it. Um, and, and then I would say two more things. Um, surround yourself with people who compliment you and compliment, um, your own weaknesses, which you need to be aware of, people who will give it to you straight. And lastly, to be a good communicator, right? I mean, that it's essential for the privilege of being a leader. 
you have to not only communicate the right message to, to your constituents, but you need to do it well. And you need to inspire hope in people and comfort. That's very well put. And, you know, you spoke about humility. And I think in, in leaders today, um, again, that's a trait that's cultivated. Um, many of the egos are very big. And I have a, it's not an off the wall question. It's a question that really uh, drives home. Mm-hmm. Um, you're being in touch as a leader that you are and you were um, to access a power outside of yourself, call it spiritualness, call it whatever you want, uh, call it intuition, um, because you're, you're, you're doing that. How much time as a leader did you spend um, uh, in contemplation, meditation, Mm -hmm. thinking about something outside of you, um, asking for the answers, because um, we all know the answers are within us. Yes. Uh, the question is, is to extract them and not let the ego sidetrack us. Mm-hmm. Um, and much of what you've talked about, this whole fakeness, frequently is the ego speaking to somebody and they're not able to control that. And that's what's creating all that, that, um, that, yes. that drive to be fake. Yep. Um, and I know the word ego is used a lot. And I have another acronym. Ego is edging God out. Hmm. Um, so the question might be as, as a leader, you led lots of people, lots of people depended on you. How much of your time did you spend in, uh, contemplation, uh, using your intuition to guide you and direct you and listening to that inner voice? You know, I, um, there were times when I did it consciously. And then there were other times where you, you, you drift off with your thoughts on the ride home on the train, I would say probably a good hour, half hour every day, but sometimes there's no time for it because you just have to move and you've got to execute and there's stuff swirling around you. Um, and a you know, for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I, um, was also a single mom for almost the entire time that I ran my company. And so there was, like it was basically like either my priority is something to do with my company or something to do with my kids. And, and then I I put myself last in that. And what I realized was that I had to be a part of, I had to give myself time to think about these things for the business and from my kids to take a different path or to shift gears or, you know, I hate the word pivot, but to pivot. And, um, you know, I spent quite a bit of time um, actually doing crafts like knitting and crocheting because it was so meditative. Mm. I could really absorb, do something completely different. And then all of a sudden, like an idea would pop into my head and I'd say like, you know, that's a good angle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that arrow in my quiver. So whether I knew I was doing it or whether I was deliberate or not, or whether it just sort of happened, I I think I probably was always doing it somewhere in, in the background. Yeah. And I, and I think that's true. You know, when you ask scientists or you ask people that are programmers, you get different answers. Although it's surprising how many of them will say, you know, how does, you know, getting in the flow or yeah. staying in the flow as a CEO and having that 
uh, endorphin that gets released and all those chemicals that get released in your brain to give you that kind of that high that you have, but the feeling that you have, the time just passes. You know, you look at come in the morning before mm-hmm. you know it, it's evening already. And you're like, well, what happened? And it was a great day. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you meant, but a lot of days are not those kind of days. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A lot of, a lot of days are absolutely the opposite. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you said in the book, if you want to create a high value brand that mm-hmm. you need a high value culture. Yes. Um, how important is having our values and beliefs articulated and known by our clients and customers? Uh, also, what are some of the enduring brands? Mm. Um, I mean, I know we can talk about, you know, Apple and, yeah. you know, Microsoft and all of these, the brands that have lasted forever. Um, but if you would, you know, a lot of people create their values, they create their mission, they create their purpose, they hang it in the lobby, and they don't live it. Yeah, uh, It's one thing to create it. It's another thing to live it. To live it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's almost better not to have a mission statement if if it's going to be like this vapid statement of emptiness that, you know, insert company name here, you know, Um, and, um, and I did meet, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs of startups when, who don't think about values and culture until they become a bigger company. And then it's something that they strap on and bolt on. And it's, it's not necessarily authentic, right? Because it wasn't created from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there, so there's, you know, there's a conflict um, there. Establishing core values and having them sort of vis- viscerally present in your culture and how you communicate with each other. I talked about like infusing a, a value in a business process. So if you take, for example, creativity and how, how does that manifest itself in customer service in every interaction you have? with your clients, with your customers, with how you talk to them, with how you respond to them, with your, how you train your people to respond to them, right? And, and the beautiful thing is that if, if you are committed to core values, they, t- they hold you and they protect you. And when you stray from them and you get bad customer feedback, you have to pause and say, so how, where did we fall from our core value system here? How can we realign with that? Or, or maybe the universe has changed and we need to push the reset button and give that value new meaning because it also needs to evolve perhaps. So I, I truly believe this is the essence of building a great brand because again, it's about a consistent customer experience that's grounded in a company's heritage somehow. Mm-hmm even mm-hmm. as it evolves over time. So you asked about great brands, you know, that aside from the obvious ones, there's a, a company I love called OXO and they are the kitchen utensil company. Mm. Um, they make peelers and, you know, spoons and can openers and things like that. And they have this commitment to the customer experience that is that is just without questions, just outstanding. Their customers love them because if they have a question about something or God forbid it broke, or they didn't know the box arrived broken or whatever, um, 
they respond immediately and they use empathy in their language with how they communicate with customers. Um, another uh, brand that um, I think should be applauded is uh, McLaren, the, the race car uh, company. They um, used and donated a lot of their equipment and their parts and whatnot um, to build ventilators during um, the pandemic crisis. Mm. Ben and Jerry's the ice cream company has a, has such an enduring brand of great ice cream and great flavors, right? Doesn't disappoint, but they also have a commitment to social justice. Um, and they had various campaigns in the last two years. So, you know, these, these are great brands that are grounded in core values, right? At the beginning, that founder of OXO made a commitment to like making quality products, but really listening and paying attention to customers. Like, like, they were in your home using your stuff. Right. Right. I, I, you know, whether it's Patagonia or it's OXO or it's McLaren or it's, we have a lot of these, and these are big companies. And I think for all those people that are listening for this, the small ones that are trying to support mom and pop out there, the, yeah. the little guy who's um, during the pandemic got hit pretty hard. Um, I would say, you know, there's so many of those that have the same values um, that are out there. And if that's what you want to do, go, go seeking them uh, to do that. I think it's really important. Um, you know, and on the flip side of the coin, um, you cited, and we talked a little bit earlier about three examples of falling from grace. Mm. Um, and we don't want people to fall from grace, but, you know, VW, Uber, Samsung, yeah. Um, and these companies have the ability to fall from grace and still get back up and keep going. Many companies, if they fall from grace, that isn't going to happen. Um, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs um, like yourself, who is in a startup, so that they don't fall from grace and that they know how to handle the situation afterwards? Meaning, okay, if I'm going to this as a PR nightmare, right? Yeah. You're the PR person. Um you know, whether it was, uh, I was trying to think of the anchor that was on NBC that, you know, got caught and, you know, that was a nightmare for, for them for a while trying to deal with it. But, you know, there's lots of these, there's so many of these examples. Um, uh, what advice would you give as somebody who has this background in PR to kind of manage that? Yes. So I think there's, um, various different uh, frameworks that you can find for managing a crisis, but it, there are some fundamentals. Number one, always, if you made a mistake, admit it, mm-hmm. admit that you made a mistake. The longer you pretend you didn't, or you hide it, the worse your crisis is going to be. And the consequences could be disastrous. Always speak the truth. Never in essence, say anything that you don't know to be the absolute truth. So that also means never predicting or providing false hope because people are going to ask you about it and call you on it. Next, you want to have only one spokesperson and perhaps a subject matter expert, but only one spokesperson, which could be the CEO or could be someone else to sort of provide consistent information to all constituents about the situation. Um, use visuals and graphics 
right? Because pictures always say a thousand words, keep the message simple. Um, Retrench. If you have made a mistake, tell people what your plan is to go forward. And, and this, it's always three things, admitting what happened, what you're going to do about it, and then telling them when you're going to tell them about the progress you've made, when you're going to come back to them. And in a last thing is in a crisis, you want to over-communicate because people, there's fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And it's just like if you're waiting for your plane and the plane's late, you're sitting there at the gate and the person's standing behind the counter and they're not telling you information. Even if the information is the same, you just want to have the update. Agreed. So, yeah. So over communicate and, and it's those three things. Here's where we are. Here's what we're doing next. And we're going to get back to you when we have these answers or have figured out these next steps. I think the point about over communicating is a big one. You know, you look at what we just went through with the withdrawal out of Afghanistan and then yes. the kind yeah. of challenge the administration had and how it was communicated. And, you know, I mean, look, the prior administration, that's all they did was try and put out fires from things that, you know, Mm -hmm. the prior president did. Uh, So the reality is, is that your advice is is very, very strong advice and is very good advice. And it really helps to calm in a crisis the situation. Um, What you're attempting to do is remove the emotion from it because so much emotion is tied up in it and people just need to hear. And I think that's wonderful advice. Now, you provide some great learning lessons in this book, um, all kinds of stories, and it's always good to leave the listeners with a couple of takeaways, two or three takeaways um, Mm. that you would leave them with so that they can basically apply them to their business, to if they're personal, to their personal life. Um, Mm. I mean, I think much of what you talk about here, even though you're a very strong businesswoman and you built a very successful company. Um, This whole point, even if I was in high school today and I had just listened to this interview um, and I was a high school student, I would want to say, you know, Sabrina, great advice. Where do I put this in my life? Because, Mm -hmm. Hey, I certainly want to be in integrity. I want to tell the truth. If I broke the light in the garage, I want to make sure I tell my parents (laughs) I did it before they found out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is don't, don't feel like you have to fake it because you have what it takes to be successful with just who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, um, do think about the last time you faked it and why were you afraid? Were you under pressure? Did you just not know what you were doing? Were you overwhelmed? And if you had a chance to, to for a do-over, how, how would you handle it differently? Would you disarm your fear as we talked about acquire a bias to get more information? Would you talk to someone? Would you reach out to a mentor, would you ask yourself, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? If I, and I organize my risk, what's the worst thing that could happen if if this if this does occur? And how would I rebound? You know, and and then I guess think think about that commitment to the truth that costs you nothing, and 
Um, uh, so I think those would be a, a summary of the, of the things I, I would recommend. Great uh, words of wisdom from somebody who's lived it and continues yeah. to live it. Yeah. Here's the book, Make It, Don't Fake It. Uh, we'll have a link to Amazon. We'll also have a link uh, to Sabrina's website, which is a lovely website. You can go there. You can, um, is the book available to be purchased off of there too, or just Amazon? Probably links to Amazon. Um, yeah, you can, uh, if you go to my book page on the website, sabrinahorn.com forward slash book, there's a right. list of all the online retailers with links. So you can go to them and, and get the book there. Well, what I can say, Sabrina, in closing and wrapping up here is that, um, one, your energy as um, a prior business owner and the experiences that you've been through as a single mother um, and all of the experiences that have brought you up today to write this book and now promote this book, Mm -hmm. um, I just want to acknowledge you. Um, You have wonderful uh, energy. And it's, we need more female leaders. Yes, we, we do. need more female leaders that have the compassion that you do, the understanding you do, um, that really want to help make it, not fake it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I, and I just, I want to acknowledge that part about you as well, um, because this is, uh, you know, I do a lot of these interviews, you know, sometimes three, four a week. And um, this is not just to toot your horn. It's to say the pace of the interview, the thoughtfulness in your answering the questions, the way and the demeanor which you carry yourself um, is exceptional. And maybe that's the background in PR that you had to have. But again, everybody go out, get, make it, don't fake it. Um, You're going to, and then go to her website and, and, cruise around and see what you need. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank, yeah. thank you so much. Namaste to you. Thanks for, for uh, your attention and spending the time with my listeners today. Oh, thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you very much, Greg. This podcast number 881 has been brought to you by April Rennie, author of a new book entitled Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving and Constant Change. In my interview with April, we discuss how humans really struggle with change, especially change that we don't choose. We resist it, we fear it, and we mistakenly believe we can't control it. If you personally happen to be struggling with the change in your life, then you will want to listen to this informative and inspiring interview about how to shift your personal perspective on how to embrace change. To learn more about April and her new book, please visit her website at www.fluxmindset.com. That's www.fluxmindset.com. Tune in for more great podcasts from Inside Personal Growth. And thanks for listening.